This is the theme for our message series on, on Christmas here at Riverside, how Christmas is God's plan. Do you believe in this? Show hands. How many believe that Christmas was God's plan? It wasn't just a story that happened. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something that we made up so that we can have this beautiful season where we exchange gifts and we go to each other's homes and, and have beautiful meals. The point is Christmas is God's plan. So what plan is this? What does Christmas say about who God is, about who we are, and how we should live? And we're going to dive in into a passage that if you've been at Riverside for a while, you know that we don't just read the Word of God. We study the Word of God. Because if we don't study it, we'll probably miss out on, on what the Word of God has to tell us and how the Word of God can impact our lives. That's why at Riverside, we study it, and we encourage you to do it not only at Bible study, but every time you open the Word of God. So we are going to read in Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start right in the beginning. And many of you already cringing a little bit because you know what this means. The first 16 verses of Matthew are a genealogy, and... But this is where the Word of God is going to speak to our hearts. And hopefully as we read the Word, we're going to come with the help of the Holy Spirit and we're going to receive what He has in store for us. So we're going to read a lot of different names, but this is not a word search. This is not a puzzle. We're going to read and let's find out what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us. So let's read Matthew 1, starting in verse 1. This is a genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Ezran, Ezran the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Reboam, Reboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jeram, Jeram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotam, Jotam the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Ezekiah, Ezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And last slide. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. I think I, I, I need to receive a hand of applause, right? Thank you. And if you didn't understand my, my accent, it was because I wanted to be the closest to the Jewish pronunciation of the names, right? Not the English ones, okay? So this is what we find right at the beginning of a gospel, the gospel of Matthew. 
And hopefully we can ask this question, why is our pastor bothering us with such an old boring list of names? But more importantly, why did Matthew spend the opening part of a gospel with such a long list? What could it possibly mean at this day and age, but also at Matthew's time? And the answer is it tells us a lot, actually, if we have eyes to see it. This is not only the introduction to Matthew's gospel. This is the introduction to the whole New Testament. Right at the beginning, we see uh, that Matthew was one of the closest disciples of Jesus. And God inspired him to write this very accurate account of Jesus' life and ministry in this whole gospel. So what does this genealogy say? And the first thing that... I believe that God wants to tell us through this genealogy is this, that God keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. In the beginning, it says in verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the early church was composed mainly of Christians from a Jewish background. And Matthew, uh, the, the writer of this, this gospel, was a Jew, and he wrote first, we know, for the Jewish people because of that. So Matthew ties Jesus with two very important names, two very important covenants of the Old Testament, the covenant of God with Abraham and the covenant with David, right in the first verse of the New Testament. And if you were a Jew, this would be a huge thing. Because Abraham and David are really important people. Abraham is the founder of the nation of Israel. And David was the greatest king of Israel. In its golden age, David was the king. And some of you might wonder, why isn't Moses and his covenant mentioned here? And the reason is quite simple. Because his covenant is not the most important one in the Old Testament. The Mosaic Covenant is not the greatest in the Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament as a whole, but especially the Mosaic Law, uh, it continues to reflect the character of God. We have lots to learn from it, but it has no value to us, no worth in order for us to be in a relationship with God. And this not only today, but also in Matthew's time. It's no longer for us to follow the law because the law was fulfilled in Jesus. And the Bible explains in the New Testament it came to an end because now we relate to God through Jesus. And that is why Matthew didn't mention Moses here, this very important character. But he did mention these two other covenants, the covenant of God with Abraham and David. So let's look at the covenant with Abraham first and why is it connected with Jesus and right in the beginning of the New Testament. So let's read in Genesis 17. Verses 1 to 5. Jimmy, please. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Thank you. So how is this covenant that we just read connected to the first verse of the New Testament, this very boring old list of names? 
But if we read it carefully, and I hope that you have when we had the opportunity, and if you're going to read the New Testament in this new year, you can't scratch the first 16 verses of Matthew. You don't have to read them again. You fulfilled your obligation. But if you've noticed, there is a difference between this genealogy that we just read with the, all other genealogies that we find in the Bible. And the first thing that we notice, and it has five mothers in it. All other genealogies mention the, the husband's, the father's name. It's how they keep track of the families. The father was the head of the household, but this one does not only include one or two, but five different women. And four of these five women in the genealogy of Jesus aren't even Jewish. One of them was a prostitute. Another of them was a Moabite, which means back at the day, she wasn't even allowed to go into the temple to worship God to the 10th generation. Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. And these women, not Jewish at all, are in the royal line of Jesus, the Messiah. And Matthew is bringing up the covenant of Abraham because this covenant wants us to get rid of this idea that was very popular at Matthew's time when the gospel was written, that God aligns himself with a certain group of people, with a certain kind of people, whether it's an ethnicity or just a religious point of view. But spoiler alert, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible ever taught. This is a man-made distortion. When you get to the end of the Bible, you see this being declared about Jesus. By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every, every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. In God's kingdom, you find people that are very different from you. I find people that are very different from me. But this is not something new that Matthew is bringing up. This is actually exactly what God had revealed Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. Jesus, as the son of Abraham, is an affirmation that God keeps his promises. Because many times the nation of Israel, they got it wrong. They thought they were God's favorite people. They thought it was all about them. They were the ones that God blessed. They were the, the ones that God spoke to. They were the receivers of every good thing that God had to offer, and they turned a blind eye to others. But no matter what their ideas were back at the time or even today, God never stopped pursuing his promises. To see that the gospel, the message of his love, reaches all the world. Not that just the Jewish people. Abraham is the father of many nations. We ourselves, this morning, no matter who you are, we don't deserve to be made children of God. You and I, we do not deserve to be in a relationship with him. But by his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus rescued us for God. The Bible says that his blood has ransomed us for God. When Jesus came, and this is the message of Christmas, this was Jesus' priority. This is the whole reason and the plan why God sent his only begotten son. Because there is only one way for people to get saved. 
There is only one way for people to get into heaven, for people to receive hope in this life, but also when we, we go from here, we're going to have eternal life. There is only one way, and that is the message of the gospel. And his name is Jesus Christ. So how is this a priority for us? If this was Jesus' priority to make sure that the gospel reached the ends of the, the earth, how is this our priority? Are we pursuing this in the kingdom of God or are we, are we busy pursuing other things? How are we making sure that the gospel of our salvation is reaching everyone in our circle of relationships, our workplace, our friends, and our neighbors? Now let's see. David's covenant in 1 Chronicles 17. And um, if you are with your Bible, you want to open in 1 Chronicles. It's, it's closest to the beginning of the Bible. But in a chronological order, and it actually belongs closer to the end of the Old Testament. Because a lot of things had happened when this book of the Bible was, was written. So the Jews, they were living in the promised land and God kicked them out because they were being unfaithful to him. Um, they were exiled in Assyria. The temple was burned. And, they, and for 100 years, they deeply believed that God had forgotten about them, that God was not going to fulfill his promises. And at some point, when God allows 100 years later for his people to go back to the promised land, God inspires someone to, to sit down and write the book of First Chronicles to say, you have a great story with God. And God is a God who never forsakes his people. God is a God who will never, ever forget his promises to you. As much, as unfaithful as you might be, uh, it doesn't matter what you've did in your past. God is a God who will make sure that his promises, all his promises will come true. And the passage we're going to read is uh, about David's son and the great promise that God gives David at the end of his life. So, Yannick, please. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and I will, he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Thank you. And, you've, and you see that I've underlined the, these words forever. Because David, when he received this promise, he deeply believed it was about his son Solomon. That his kingdom will last forever. But, of course, some of these things apply to Solomon. But as we can uh, tell, there is something that is greater than any human being. A kingdom that will last forever. A king that will be at the throne forever. And uh, if we read this genealogy of Matthew, the one that we just read, we read it carefully. We see David's name in there. We see the king of Israel. He is there. And in last 12, there is a, a guy named Jeconiah. And if you uh, see this, his story, he's the last king that is ever mentioned in the Old Testament, Jeconiah. But the list continues. From Jeconiah, you have lots of different names. 
all the way to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And these are the people in the bloodline of David, but none of them were kings. So when David and the people knew the word of God, and God promised David, your dynasty, your kingdom will last forever, when everything blew up, when Jeconiah was king, all of a sudden there was no more king, because there was no more kingdom even. Israel was being dominated by the Assyrians, and then the the Medes, and then the Persians. So there was no kingdom of Israel for their to be a king. So the people of Israel, they thought, God must have forgotten his promises once again. Because there is no son of David seated on the throne. And for 400 years, the people were left without a king. But the promise, the covenant of God with David, looked beyond the king of Judah. Through the bloodline of David wouldn't come not just another king of Judah, but the king of kings of Judah. That is why Jesus is the son of David, because this promise, this covenant that God made with David, it relates not to Solomon, but to Jesus Christ, who was born 400 years after this time of being without a kingdom. Revelation 19.16, again, it says about Jesus, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a victorious title. There is no one else on earth that can be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, Gabby and I are watching The Crown on Netflix. If you haven't seen this, that TV show, it's pretty amazing, the writing. The first episodes, I have to say, are a bit boring, in my opinion. But the story of, of, uh, of a royal family is very, very interesting. But one thing that you can have for granted, they are deeply flawed. They're deeply flawed. And even though she is a queen, she is not perfect. And she has authority. But she is no queen of queens. Because there is a king of kings. There is one on the entire earth that rules over us. There is one king that you and I must obey. Must give our worship. Must give our lives to. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of David. Matthew is connecting the dots of the New Testament with the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is everything. Everything. Everything that God had promised to us in the Old Testament. Jesus. That came from Joseph. That came from Mary. He is the Messiah. The covenant of Abraham speaks about the love of God for all the people on earth. The message that God is not just about one ethnic group, one religious group, but for all the people. And the covenant with David reminds us that we weren't left without a king. We weren't left without a king. We will always have someone to look up to. We will always have someone above us that cares about us. 
that loves us, that wants to guide us, that wants to be everything we need. Because he is not just a king, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. All the earth bows down before him. Every authority on earth bows down before the name of Jesus. And he is the name we're following. He is the king that reigns victorious forever. And this is what Christmas is about. This is what this genealogy is about. God keeps his promises. Because God, God is faithful. God is faithful to us. God was faithful to the people of Israel. God is faithful to everyone he relates to. God relates to his creation in faithfulness. And it doesn't matter how long you and I have to wait. It doesn't matter how we feel about God's promises. We feel that they're they're not being fulfilled. I don't see a change in my life. I don't see God coming through. I don't see God's blessing the way I feel I, I need to see it in my life. But the promise is God is always faithful. It's not about our experience with God. It's about the character of God. We have to trust and believe in his character. We live in his hands. We belong to him. Do you know how long this promise to Abraham had to wait from the moment it was given to Abraham to the moment that Jesus came, how much time had passed? About 2,000 years. You know how long from the promise, the covenant with David, how long had passed until Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem? About 1,000 years. Because God has a plan. Christmas was his plan. Our lives are part of his plan, and his timing is perfect. God's timing in your life and in my life is perfect. It's not about us. It's about him. And the second thing this genealogy has to tell us is that it's all about God's grace. It's all about God's grace. When we read a biography, how many of you have read a biography of someone in history? A great leader, a singer, not many of you. Well, you might check it out. You don't have to uh, take what I'm going to say for sure. But usually in a biography, the goal is to give the best reputation of a leader. Or at least understand his point of view and, and tell things on how they lived, on how they made the decisions. And... If you want to make this um, biography attractive, you're going to hide as many ugly details as possible because we want to fall in love with the person we're reading about, especially if it's a religious leader. And if you go to all the great religious leaders throughout history, their, their lives are pretty much perfect. There's nothing that we can say, oh, I got you. You're not perfect. I'm not going to follow you. But actually, right in the beginning of the New Testament, when we're going to approach this account of Jesus' life, and an account that pretty much says, yes, that Jesus lived the perfect life. Yes, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He's not one Savior. He is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one else we can relate to in order to be in a relationship with God. 
So Matthew, we would expect that he would begin this, this biography of Jesus in a very perfect way, in a way that, yeah, that's so attractive. I want to read the rest of it. I want to follow Jesus. But actually, for the Jewish people, the moment they start reading this genealogy, yes, Jesus Christ, okay, son of David, I know who David is, son of Abraham, and all of a sudden we see Tamar. What in the world? What an ugly part of our story, Tamar. Why is this guy talking about Tamar? Matthew wrote all of these different names on purpose so that people would be shocked. And if the point was to give Jesus a good name, Matthew didn't do a good job. But the point of this genealogy is that he wanted to include as many names as possible that would shock us. He included a prostitute. He included a thief. He included people that shouldn't be there. He included even a murderer, one that we at least know about. He included Gentiles, Moabites, the worst people at that time. If this was our story, if this was our genealogy, we wouldn't brag about it. We, we weren't going to uh, boast to the world that we have people, our ancestors were criminals, were people of bad reputation. Right next to David... And many of you know David, the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. But he shows up next to a woman who had been Uriah's wife. The Bible doesn't even mention her name, Bathsheba, because the people of Israel knew exactly who she was. And no matter the details of the story, if you are leaning more towards David's side or Bathsheba's side, they both committed adultery. Matthew was pointing out the fact that David slept with someone else's wife. How shameful. And then David made sure the betrayed husband got killed in order for them to not to get caught. Why do you point out when you're speaking about Jesus, why are you pointing out one of the most horrible stories in the Bible? The great evangelist Billy Graham said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That is what this genealogy says. No matter who you are, if you are in Jesus' genealogy, not just this list of names, but anyone that relates to Jesus today, anyone who belongs to Jesus today, if you are in this list, if you're part of Jesus' family, you're only there because of God's grace. It's all because of God's grace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all stand there at the same place. We are all flawed, we're all sinners. There is no one that can say, I am without sin, the Bible says. And as we stand before the cross, we know that it has nothing to do with the school we attended. It's not about the color of our skin. It doesn't matter who our parents are or how good or how not good you feel you are. It's because of the grace of the Almighty God. In Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him, Jesus, 
We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God's grace, this word that Paul writes time and time again in the New Testament. It doesn't matter if if we say, "I, I never felt worthy of God's love. I am too flawed. I am too broken. I can never live like Jesus lived. If that's the point of Christianity, I cannot be in a relationship with God. Why even waste my time of going to church? But we finished studying the book of Galatians. How many of you attended the Bible study on Galatians? Let's show hands. Now many of you. You can go back on Right Now Media. There are the notes of our study in the, on the book of Galatians. Because in Galatians, Paul was telling the church, you have entered a relationship with God through grace. And it's amazing because it is through the blood of Jesus. It is in him that we find the forgiveness of our sins. But all of a sudden, you want to relate with God through works. You want to be someone that deserves to be in a relationship with God. But it doesn't doesn't work. And and Paul accused them of becoming narrow-minded, faithless. And having attitudes that have nothing to do with Jesus. Matthew wants us to know in this genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus might not be the one you thought he was. And he might not be the one you want him to be. But he is the son of Abraham. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the father of the people you like and the people you do not like. And through David, we learn that it's all about God's grace. The question for us, and hopefully the Holy Spirit is already speaking into your heart this morning. Have you received God's grace? Have you received God's grace? I'm not saying that have you prayed about Jesus coming into your heart. I'm not saying uh, of having your name written in the book of life, knowing that if you die today, you're going to be in heaven. Have you received God's grace? Has your perspective about yourself been transformed by the grace that God wants to give in your heart and life? Is the way that you see others filled with God's grace? Or we are still doing like many people did in the Bible, looking at ourselves as selected people, exclusive people, people that deserve to be in a relationship with God while others don't. Or... I'm too flawed. I'm such a sinner that I don't deserve God in my life. It's all about this one word, grace. And the more we study it, the more we read about it, the more we understand God's heart for us and for everyone who lives. Everyone who isn't on this earth, Jesus Christ came to show us God's grace. And he wants us to embrace it and be transformed by it. And lastly, only the humble can see it. If you and I really understood God's grace and how this genealogy talks about God's grace, it's at the center of the message of the gospel. And if we truly understood it, our response would be humility. 
People naturally don't have it, and certainly people didn't have it at Jesus' time. Let's read in Matthew what Jesus says um, to religious leaders at, back at the time, and, 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 and spoiler alert, this is not a Christmassy verse that you can write on a card. It says, on the outside you appear uh, to, to be people, uh, to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you brood of vipers. Yes, this is the Jesus we're following too. Jesus isn't criticizing them for not having the right answers. They could have just connected the dots as we are connecting now. But they weren't humble. They didn't have humility to submit to God's plan. Only the humble can see it. And my father-in-law sent us a WhatsApp this morning, and I, uh, I praise God. God speaks to us in so, so many different ways. And he said, Judas, Judas had the best teacher, the best pastor, the best counselor, the best advisor, the best of the best, the king of kings, the lord of lords. Yet Judas failed. He failed because of his attitude. He failed because he wasn't humble enough to accept God's plan for his life. Christmas is God's plan hidden in plain sight. Someone said this. Christmas is God's plan hidden in plain sight. While everyone can see, appreciate Christmas, not everyone understands God's plan. But the gospel is a very simple message. It's a powerful message that God came as a human being. He lived the perfect life. He was condemned while, while not doing a single wrong thing in his life. But through his death and his life and his resurrection, he became the savior of the entire world. And the message of the gospel is still very simple. Someone has a bill to pay Jamil. Let's get, use her as an example. Jamil has a bill to pay. It's too much money. She will never be able to pay it out. And I come to Jamil. Jamil, here's the check. You can pay your bill. She received the check. She paid her bill. And now she is free of that. The message of the gospel is as simple as this. It's a gift. But why, if it's so simple, why don't people receive it? Because of this, because only the humble can see it. Now listen to this. This is a really good point. I didn't put it over there, but hopefully you can remind, okay? Christmas not only shows us the way to God, but the way of God. Christmas shows us not only the way to God, but the way of God. And if we look at this genealogy, God could have chosen another family. And hopefully none of us here this morning would, oh, I wish I could have a different family, that I wasn't born in my family. Well, Jesus, for sure, he could have said this. Absolutely. He came from Joseph and Mary that just being there, they were from Galilee, Nazareth. It was the place back then that you wouldn't want to be at. It wasn't a place that you would put on your CV these days. People didn't hire people from Nazareth. They had such a bad reputation. 
But God wanted to show us clearly, it's not about where they studied if they went to Harvard. And a big shout to Seven, if he's listening, he, he goes to Harvard, and may God bless him, we miss him dearly. It's not about if people go to Harvard. It's not where you live. If you live in Portugal, in Quinta de Marinha, go check it out online. It's a wonderful place. It's not about the, your family, what they've accomplished in life. It's about humility. And you know something? Joseph and Mary had it. And they were included in God's plan. And God used their lives greatly. Christmas is not... Not about us deserving. It's not about our reputation. It's about if we're humble enough to accept this very simple message. Jesus Christ came to redeem the lost. And I have to recognize that I'm lost without Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 25, 26. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heavens and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learn. You've hidden these things from the self-satisfied. You've hidden these things from the self-righteous people. You've hidden these things from, from those who didn't want to be in a relationship with you and revealed them to little children. We just sang about this. Give me a, a, a childlike faith. Give me a childlike uh, heart. It's not talking about us being literal children, but the attitude of our hearts. And some of us need to change the attitude of our hearts this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. The right attitude towards Christmas is the same that we need to have towards the message of the gospel, humbly acknowledging and submitting to our place in God's plan. I, know, I want to invite you all to stand. And I think the, the point of this message was very, very simple. If you want God in your life, if you're not a Christian, or you want more of God in your life, if you are a Christ follower, there is only one way. You have to humble yourself. Because this is the way of God, not just the way to God. And the world still thinks that the bar is so high. I cannot follow Jesus because the bar is just so high. I cannot deal with Christ asked me to do but the only thing he asks of you recognize that Jesus is king of kings he is lord of lords there is no one else like him Jesus could have ended everything forget about this promise these people don't deserve it you watch the news today and you think those people that I see on the news, they don't deserve grace. They don't deserve love. Look at all, all the, the wrong things that these people are doing. Politicians, leaders, teachers. But how about you? Are you perfect? How, what about the wrong things that you've done in your life and in your past? You also are in need of God's love. You're also in need of God's grace. And Jesus said, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to keep my promises. 
because I love you. Because I love you. I'm going to show you what it means to be part of God's family. I'm going to show you what it means to be loved, to be accepted with a love that is greater than any other love that you could experience here on earth. Even David, this guy and king who messed up big time, he was a recipient of God's grace. You will never be too far away to experience the, the grace of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you will be saved means your life's going to change. Your heart is going to change. God is going to come into your heart and everything is going to change for better. Because where God is, there can be no hate. There can be no um, sadness. There can be nothing that wants us to separate from God.